And we are back with Intrigue Podcast, Ryan Ray alongside Dr. Ellen Wall. Dr. Wall, how are you doing today? Things are good. You know, I was reading this morning, I was looking up stuff about oil, and the first article that appeared was about the skyrocketing price of olive oil. Mm. Mm. Extra virgin. Mm. Pretty, it's what, it's pretty is expensive. The regular virgin olive oil. I, I'm being serious. I, I don't know. Yeah, it was extra virgin. Everyone's like, it's yeah, olive oil. I'm like, is there like non-virgin? Yeah, virgin, some virgin. Yeah, there is, and then there's light olive oil. So okay. apparently, there are different presses of it, and it's mm-hmm. like the first press is like the regular, and like the extra virgin is if you like really squeeze it all out or something like that. It's supposed oh, okay. to be the healthiest or the best. I don't know. <laughs> I most did. flavorful yeah i know no and the question is there extra extra version oh extra, well extra yeah 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 no doubt no doubt okay no. or maybe that they maybe that is the first but i i don't remember which it's either the first it's either the extra virgins from the first or the last i don't i don't remember exactly but <laughs> oh yeah there are a lot of different grades of olive oil yeah yeah exactly exactly okay all right well let's get into it uh ford seeks to reassure investors with ev call cost cut plans uh once again the titles Reuters comes up with are befuddling weird they also changed them i don't think that was the title that it was this morning Uh, yeah so ford yeah unveiled an ambitious strategy to profitability ramp up electric vehicle sales it faces a challenge of a slash to seven billion in cost and regain credibility on Wall Street. Yeah, that oh, is this a- is so much more interesting than uh it was this morning. <laughs> yeah, they must have butchered the first one because this is this is not very good. Um, okay, so what's going on with Ford? Yeah, so originally the article was all about how it said Ford to charge up EV drive with flurry of battery deals. So I was like, oh, where are they getting all these batteries, you know, from? Like, what's what's the deal with this? But apparently things have gone south since, uh, yeah, it was updated 31 minutes ago. So nice of Reuters to change things on us. Um, so they were supposed to unveil all these new supply deals for um, buying lithium for batteries in order to meet its target of producing 2 million electric vehicles. Um, this was the, the original article by 2026 and closed the gap on market leader Tesla. Um, but apparently things did not go so well at this uh, at this meeting, it seems. Um, so yeah, this is, uh, this is, this is interesting. Um, they want to slash $7 billion in costs. I mean, I, it's it's so wow and then their shares fell one percent because of this um you know it's it's interesting because lithium is a huge issue in terms of of you know supply chain stuff for these batteries and um it says um, it's it's interesting because i'm curious where they were going to get them so it's apparently they were going to they were going they they were they were going to bet on direct lithium extraction technology, which is an emerging crop of unproven filtration technologies aimed at revolutionizing how it's produced. So now usually just like mine it, right? But then the idea is that they're going to like extract it. I think you can extract it from like other areas. I'm not exactly sure. Um, The problem is we don't do a lot of lithium mining in the U.S., for good reason. I don't think we have a lot of lithium, but also it's like a really horrible process for the environment. So, you know, we want a lot of batteries made with lithium, but we sure don't want to produce them here because like NIMBY, right? Not in my backyard. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, I, I get that 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 Wall Street is doubting their ability to hit their targets for EV production. But and and maybe that's why they're you know they're they're upset or whatever or the stock drop. But here's the thing, like, do, should they be meeting these targets? Are they going to sell that many EVs? They wanted to have the capacity to build six hundred thousand EVs by the end of this year. Can Ford sell six hundred thousand EVs? I mean, what's Ford's most popular vehicle? The F one fifty. Yeah, would you buy an F one fifty EV? Where I drive, it probably wouldn't matter if I drove an EV because I don't drive as much as I used to. But back when I was driving out to Midland a lot, and once you get out there, then no, there's no shot. I'd ever, I'd ever drive one. Yeah. Plus, one. okay, that it would make your vehicle a lot heavier. Mm-hmm. Okay, because these batteries are really heavy, like really heavy. I mean, the, people aren't aren't accounting for the Im- immense weight of these batteries. That's wear and tear on your t- on your tires. That's more, you know, that's, can you haul the same? I mean, I don't know if you used your F-150 for hauling things, but can you haul very much? Apparently, if you hook up your, F- your EV F-150 to something and then try to haul it, the battery range is like half. Yeah, so I and then a, and then try to put the air conditioning on. Right, right. So I have an F two fifty, and we do pull a lot of stuff around. Not not super heavy stuff, but we do pull a lot of stuff. And so, um, you know, I think I've mentioned it before, but my son and I own, own this little junk remo- junk removal business. And yeah. so, you know, it's to where we gotta go drop this stuff off at the transfer station. It's like a forty five minute drive, and sometimes you gotta sit at the dump for two hours because the line's so long. And so it's 45 minutes back. And so in those situations, you'd say, you know, so as I think through it, if I was doing that kind of, you know, letting him do that kind of work, I couldn't do it because you're talking about maybe a three hour, four hour thing, you're gone and you're just kind of stuck, you know, just sitting yeah. there, you know, and then you got to drive back and it's, you know, it's in the country, there's nowhere to charge an EV. And so, yeah, no, there's definitely, yeah. Um, for driving around town and stuff where I do, you know, for if my wife's car where she drives 99% of the time, we could probably get away with the EV, but yeah. No, and then if we started pulling stuff, to your point, that would be even worse because that's you're just constantly pulling. Um, yeah, or if there's a lot of stuff, like you said, for junk removal, a lot of stuff loaded up in the in the back. Yeah, I mean, no. it's gonna, it's uh, yeah, and and so I, 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 there were not that many, you know, Teslas and EVs right. where I used to live. Right. Um, now in this new area, I definitely see a lot, but I can tell you that these are people's like second or third cars. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it makes sense. If you're going to drive around town, you're going to pick up the kids from school, go to the supermarket, take them to sports practice and piano practice and, you know, doctors, you know, if you're, if you're not planning on going very far, sure. It makes sense. Why not? Mm -hmm. But if you want to have the ability to use that car to do something else, I mean, so it's, it's so surprising to me that they're, well, okay. It's not surprising that they're judging Ford based on its ability to meet its targets. But um, to me, I would say, I mean, the CEO said, did say, we're so far behind on waste and cost. Okay. Well, that doesn't sound good at all. Like, mm-hmm. is that something that a, a CEO should ever say? Like, mm-hmm. we're doing really badly on waste and cost. Like, right. <laughs> you, you know, okay, that that's not good. But I'd actually... If, if Ford could come to the realization that maybe hitting those production targets is not actually a good idea or good for the company or what people want, then I would actually say like, hey, Ford may be better off than than other ones. Um, but, you know, it's, it's really, 
interesting that they seem to be totally um, focused on like where they're going to get the the lithium and and stuff like that, as opposed to all the other feasibility issues. I mean, lithium is definitely a feasibility issue, but it's not the only one. Um, I don't know. It's apparently they signed a agreement with a lithium producer in Chile, um, but they didn't say how long. Um, Ford is apparently going to be the very first customer of a company called Nimasca Lithium, which is owned by the Quebec government's economic development agency and another lithium company. Yeah. Is that so good? Does Ford really want to be the first customer of this? Uh, I don't know. But going back to your point, though, about you said a minute ago, does it reduce your haul weight? And I haven't thought about that, but unless they're going to change something about the truck and you're adding a lot more weight in the in the front end, yeah, that could reduce the amount of weight that you you know pull or you know carry or whatever you want to phrase that. And so um, I don't know what percentage of people that drive F-150s use close to capacity on a regular basis, um, but... It's probably enough that they would say, "Yeah, I can't lose that that haul weight," um, because you know it, it, it's weird to think about. But I remember, remember my first truck was a 1990 Silverado extended cab, uh, two wheel drive, and I went to go get. Uh, my dad didn't have a truck; he had an SUV, and uh, mom had a car, or whatever. And so they had to get some, some quickcrete for uh, this project. And so I went and got a you know a pallet full of quickcrete, and the truck was like bowed up, you know, because you know you think it's fifty yeah. pounds a bag, and you know a hundred bag, whatever, <laughs> thirty bags or seventy bags, whatever it was, you know, that's a ton of weight, literally a literal ton of weight. And so yeah, yeah you reduce that even for weekend warrior type projects, it can yeah. make an impact. So, and I think that people, I think there's a lot. I I really do think that this weight issue is is not being fully considered by a lot of first of all definitely the policymakers who are pushing these EVs are not considering the weight issue. I mean, what do they think they're going to say? Like everyone buy an EV and people can buy those tiny like what are they those smart cars that like like two people in it and you know mm-hmm. they look like they look like a kids you know they look like something my one year old would play with. Um, <laughs> no, that does, that doesn't work for. Americans, it's also totally unsafe. Like, right. do not drive that on the road. But this is this is a huge. I think about the wear and tear on the roads now. Mm-hmm. I, are tires. they really? Is it? Is, yeah, is more there? Tires, maybe yeah. Yeah, more tires. That's a huge environmental cost. I mean, you know, tires are not good for the environment either. It's it's so bizarre how like this obsession with carbon emissions is leading to so much other, like they've decided that EVs are have to be the way to go. And yet, you know, if you actually charged your EV, um, I was looking at some of the data from like the um, mid-Atlantic region. So like if you lived in like Maryland, I think, and or Baltimore or Philadelphia, if you lived in Philadelphia and you charged your EV over the weekend last, not this past weekend, the weekend before, you were charging on something like 30% fossil fuels and like 12% of that was coal. Mm-hmm. Is that really better than an internal combustion engine or a hybrid? Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, I don't although know. with a hybrid, they've got to have so much, it's got to be so much weight because you've got the gasoline and you've got the battery. Right. Maybe the batteries are smaller. I don't well, know. I saw some, uh, oh, the Boston Globe ran a piece the other day. Um, gosh, last week, I think. And they were saying that, you know, 
they were talking about the push for EVs, and in doing so, they're going to have to re-update their basically their whole grid because they can't support it. You know. So, oh yeah. Um. Anyways, and so plus they don't want to have any natural gas, so like they're just going to suck the electricity from the air. Yeah, I know. Right. Okay, let's go to our next piece. National average price of gasoline hits pause as Memorial Day looms. I didn't know gasoline could hit pause, but it does. Um, it's pricing itself as a, as a, as a it wants to stay still. Okay, so let's just talk about oil prices in general. Um, Brent's at 76, WTI's at 72. You're going to have to get some serious upward pressure to get those $90 averages we saw at the beginning of the year people talking about. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, it's so, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so gas prices. Get in are, the car and drive because yeah, gasoline prices are not high. <laughs> not as high as you would have thought they would have been for sure. Yeah. You would have thought, man, this is going to be a really brutal year. But um, if there is one silver lining on the inflation talk, it's that on some level, the gasoline prices are, are helping, are helping. So, mm-hmm. um, Okay, so the prices are low or staying low for now, or you know, somewhat low. Yeah. Um, so, so what do you think is is keeping them low? This is my big question. Like, why? You know, I, I mean, I do think that there are multiple reasons, but what what what's your sense? What do you? Why do you think gasoline prices are not going up, okay. other than oil prices? Oil prices. Oil prices? What? Oil prices or gasoline prices? Yeah, oh, gasoline. Because I want to deal with like the oil component, but also like the gasoline issue. Like, is it inventories? Is it if people not, is it consumption? Is it just oil prices? You know, what's the, the last time? The, thing? I, yeah, the last time I looked at the diesel stuff, it was way down. Um, I think we talked on the show a few weeks ago that the diesel demand was really down. Um, and mm-hmm. I, I know there's a big Twitter debate over how much work from home really works or not, but you start thinking about, People who work from home in 2020, 2021, and then 2022, they said, you got to come back to the office, but you got to come three days a week, right? Yeah. Three days a week over 52 weeks a year, that is and enough people, that is demand that goes away and doesn't come back. Yeah. And so I suspect there's just part of the demand from just the average person that's going to go away. That's on one thing. And the other thing was we had a huge migration of people. And maybe people are just closer to their offices now. Maybe they're not living um, as far away. Maybe they moved to more um, to areas where there's you know, the jobs are closer to where they were before. So I would, if I had to guess, those would be my two leading things is that people during, you know, there's people that are working from home on at least partially or fully and that's gone. And then other, and people have moved around. Um, you know, if you lived in San Francisco and you were, you know, living, you know, you couldn't afford to live in San Francisco, so you're driving 45 minutes into work every day, and then you move to Dallas and you're driving 15 minutes into work every day. That's just demand. That's just it's just gone. So that'd be my two guesses. What do you think? So yeah, I mean, I I think that I do think that there is that that you know there is some decline in in demand also because. Um, people aren't, aren't working. I mean, I was just <laughs> so kind of oh, a, yeah. an aside, yeah. Yeah. like, I think that there are layoff that people are getting laid off too. And, um, people aren't getting hired nearly as, as fast. I was reading this article in the wall street journal over the weekend about people, at least in, in white collar jobs, looking for, for jobs. And they were saying that like, sometimes they've had to go through like nine rounds of interviews. It's four months before they, and then they don't even get the job. 
it's, I think like there's not a lot of hiring. People are just kind of like businesses are conserving. And I think that it will be interesting because like last summer was like a pent up demand summer, right? Because, um, you know, people were really want to be out and about. The question really now is can low oil prices convince people to go out or are people really going to be concerned about the economy and, um, you know, what's, what's to come. So I think that that that's definitely an issue is is this kind of uncertainty about the economy, people not moving around, you know, maybe not going out as much and and whatnot. Um, Distillate, you know, the diesel thing, I'm not really sure. I think maybe the, you know, we've seen some issues in terms of like, I'd be interested in terms of agriculture. I know there was a huge drought in Kansas that like killed all the wheat. Maybe like there's lower distillate demand in those regions because farmers just don't have anything to harvest. Um, you know, so, so I kind of wonder about, about that a little bit. It, it seems like it could be like a whole confluence of things. Also, um, you know, we're also now measuring like against last year's um, refining statistics, whereas like previously we're measuring as refining statistics where we had more refineries. So I think it might seem like things are less out of whack. <laughs> I don't know how to explain that, but like um, better. But I also think that there's also just a lot of oil in the world. And I think there's a lot more than we thought there would be, not necessarily coming from America. Um, but I think there's a lot of Russian oil. There's a lot of of oil. And um, I do think that, that in terms of oil prices staying low, it's not just a demand issue. It's also that um, all of this sanctioned oil is that's on the market is pushing down regular oil prices because it's if you're in China and you can get about a barrel of sanctioned Iranian or sanctioned Russian oil for like $20 or more or less than a barrel of whatever else oil, like you're going to buy that. And so it, it, there's so much of it that it's having an effect on the rest of the market. Um, and that's pushing down prices for everyone. So I think, I think we're seeing that. And I think that that's weighing on gasoline prices. But I do think the demand numbers are going to be interesting to see, um, particularly as we hit Memorial Day and, and the summer driving season. Yeah, that's a good point about the layoffs. I, forgot, I wouldn't even think about that. that that's also uh, – but that – see, I would say that the moving um, and the work from home is more closer to demand destruction. People change jobs, and it could come back on some level. But maybe a short-term – use the term demand destruction. It's not, it's not coming back. The layoffs, you know, as the economy picks back up, that will come back faster. So people will change jobs and they will, you know, make it back to the office at some point. I don't know, but um, that's a little bit longer recovery on demand. But it's a good point on the on the layoffs, which is, um, yeah, you're not driving around if you don't have a job so, other, other than the interviews. So. <laughs> but now all the interviews are done virtually, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. come on, you're really going to do nine rounds of interviews with someone if they have to come in every single time, right? Yeah. Here's what I want to know. Sorry about this aside. Like, don't the people who are doing all these interviews have work? (laughs) Like, like, how do they have the time to do so many rounds of interviews to hire someone? Like, don't they have work to do? That's that is, I guess that's you know, if you're HR for a big company, that's what you do is just go around and interview (laughs) people. Um, you know, it, it is interesting that there's this there's this real pushback now against work from home. And and I'm not I think it's like anything else. It's good for some, you know, if you're a man, if, if you're on the assembly line of a plant, you can't work from home, obviously, you know, if you're in the oil field, 
you're in the field, you can't work from home. <laughs> you're a truck driver. So uh, I don't think it's a, it's a one size fit all. And I don't think everyone wants to work from home. No. But this weird notion that it's like a crime against humanity to work from home. And it's, you know, Elon Musk of the day was like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, it's, it's, uh, I can't remember how he put it, but it was basically wrong. It was morally wrong. Yeah. Of course, you know, he's got a factory in China. So it's like, okay, Elon, come on. It's, it's a lot more yeah. here, a little bit for a second. But I, um, I don't understand why. I mean, I think this is just my guess. I think that most companies overhire. Yeah. And most employees at large companies aren't really that busy. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. And when you send them, when they're at the office, they can, and when at their office, it kind of feels like everyone's busy because you can go to the snack bar, you can go to the cooler, you can go have a meeting, you know, stand up meeting or whatever they call oh it. Oh, my God. Meetings. Yeah. I think, yeah. And then, but you're at home, you realize, oh, my gosh. I don't have anything to do. I could get a second job. Yeah. Oh, make more money. There were so many yeah. people who did that. I can get a second job and make more money because this takes like 30 hours a week and I can put another 20 in because I was driving. So I was already doing 50 hours. I can do 50 hours from the house. Oh yeah. Double the money. And I, I, I think I suspect that part of the, that's part of the, uh, there's obviously people who aren't doing their work, but I suspect it's that is that companies realize how little, yeah, employees do, and they're like, oh, oh yeah, much we got to bring them in, and and that's that's just a bad management part. So um, yeah, the part. So I I totally get it. I mean, I both work from home and not work from home, and it's there are pluses and minuses to to both, and like, you know, I don't try to judge it, but I I do think that yeah, when that I I think there is a lot of superfluous stuff that goes on at, at companies and um. You know, and so a lot of it is to make people feel like they're doing something or they're part of the company. And uh, yeah, they think there is a lot of realization that, wow, we did not need all these people. Oh, yeah. Part of the company. That was a big thing. Like, you know, people and I get I get it. If you want to work at the office or whatever, I'm not not against it. I just I do think that a lot of it is. uh, Is nonsensical um, if you can avoid it. So anyways, um, okay. Let's go to our next article. Court rejects challenge to FERC approval of Alaska gas gasoline plan. A federal appeals court has rejected the ob- objections of the environmental advocacy groups to the approval given by the FERC for a proposed natural gas pipeline and export project in Alaska. Okay. So it seems like <laughs> what is going on? So they were, so they were, um, the Alaska Gas Line Development Corporation was trying to, they want to build an 800 mile um, pipeline from the North Slope to Nikiski on the South Coast of Alaska. I don't know. Um, Where they're going to then build a 20 million ton per year liquefaction plant to ship LNG out of Cook Island, mostly to Asia, I assume. and so apparently FERC approved this pipeline and the LNG plant. And then there were some, there were some, um, what do they call them? They, uh, they objected. Who objected? Let's see. The Center for Biological Diversity and the Sierra Club raised a variety of substantive and procedural objections under the National Environmental Policy Act and the Natural Gas Act. Apparently, all they're mostly argued that they needed more analysis. Um, but now 
the big news is that this three judge panel of the appellate court said, no, FERC actually did do all the right analysis. Uh, they did the environmental impact statement, all the detail on the wetlands, the marine animals, the fish, the drinking water, the river soils, permafrost vegetation, and Alaskan socioeconomics. So, um, and this pipeline was approved, by the way, this project was approved by FERC in 2020. Mm -hmm. It's now 2023. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, but it took last month, uh, until last month, the U.S. Department of Energy had not approved exports from this project to go to non-free trade agreement countries. Because, like, what good is it if they can't ship it to Asia, right? Like, can we actually build anything in this country? Well, okay, this half a second rant here. Now, <laughs> constitutional scholars can, can email me. FERC is part of the, the Department of Energy, right? Okay, yeah. the Department of Energy is under the executive branch. Okay. Now, mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I suspect, I suspect when Carter launched all that stuff, perhaps we should have questioned the constitutionality of of, of all that, anyways. Um, but I guess my question is, how does the what is the when Supreme Court says they did the the proper work? How does the Supreme Court or the appellate court, whatever it was, actually determine? the work was done. Yeah, they look at the environmental impact statement. Apparently, apparently this was the objection of the environmentalist groups that they didn't calculate the, um, they didn't, they, it would, uh, among other things, they objected to, they said that FERC did not calculate greenhouse gas emissions that would occur when customers burn the natural gas. So all the emissions they had, the emissions for liquefying it, for putting it into ships, for shipping it to Asia, but they didn't include the greenhouse gas emissions that would occur when like the Chinese or the Japanese stick that LNG into their power plants and burn it. I mean, come on. Like, first of all, how is anyone supposed to know what those emissions will be when they first finally send the gas out in like 2030, right? Because like yeah. it's 2023 and they, still, yeah, they're still the trying to prove it. It's delayed so, years. Oh my yeah. gracious. Like, how is anyone supposed to know that? They just find things to object and object and object. Are these like are these like I thought the Sierra Club actually like cared about the environment. Um, you know, but their objection uh, was not like you're going to kill this like rare species of whatever and we need to save it. No, that wasn't it. I want to give a shout out. It was we friend. don't know how much you know Korean emissions are. Yeah. So Sergio Chapa, shout out to him. He used to work for uh, a couple of different publications and he would often quote the Center for, for uh, what they called, uh, Center for uh, Biological Diversity. So I haven't heard that name in some time. But, uh, <laughs> back when Sergio was a reporter, he would get them to, to quote for quite often on uh, anti-oil and gas stuff. So it's good to see their name <laughs> being consistent in what they do. The Sierra Club, yeah, I think they're many hacks, but um <laughs> But okay, I think you bring up a couple of good points, which is if you want me to do a study study now, and then you sue me, it takes two years, and then you say, well, like, well, is that study that was done two years ago still good, or do I have to do a new study now? Um, I, I don't know how accurate these studies are even supposed to be, uh, you know. So you can kind of perpetually, I guess, theoretically drag these things out. Um, you know, how does the Supreme Court know? And can can you put a rein in on what someone's actually supposed to measure for? 
So think about it like this. You might, the, the, the FERT might say there's 37 things you want to measure for. Okay. Uh, and then you could come in and say, well, you didn't measure for this one and this one and this one and this one. Right. Um, and so you could, you could possibly just perpetually. So I, is, I don't know. Maybe I'd love to get some attorney on who would, who could break all this down. I could just see this being a constant nightmare of people wanting to do stuff. And oh, by the way, you can't build anything in this country, as you said. And, there's a good, you know, at some point this will come to bite us if we don't build this infrastructure. Yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it is insanity. Speaking yep. of insane, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, no, I just, this is, it's insanity. It's honestly, it's, it's like, we're going to hold up your entire project for like two years because you didn't, because we don't think that you calculated the greenhouse gas emissions of when the customers burn the natural gas. Mm. Yeah. Because you know how they're going to burn it, of course, obviously. Uh, I mean, you know, think about that. If you're, you're going to sell it to someone and then you're presuming that you know where they're going to sell it to, I guess, because they couldn't yeah. sell it to someone else because, it, like, yeah, it's nonsense. Okay. But like I said, speaking of insane, let's go to Europe. My friends in Europe. <laughs> oh, I love my European friends. European, European gas prices drop as Goldman sees fuel switching floor. Oh, European gas neared a two year low as weak industrial demand and ample supplies weigh on prices with the Goldman Sachs. Seeing a possibility of the floor in the mid twenty dollar range, I guess that's in euros. At the euro yeah. sign there, yeah, twenty euro range. Um, yeah, we need Oop. dollars. I don't know. I, don't know I know. Come on, Sorry. euros. Euros. What's Who that? uses the euro? Not us. We're America. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have states over here, not provinces, and whatever you people have across the pond. So. America. Um, the article is actually from Bloomberg. It's just happens to be printed in uh, Financial Post, so I can read it because I don't subscribe to Bloomberg. Yeah. Um. Anyway, okay. remember when? Low. Remember when natural gas was gonna be so expensive for Europe, and their mm-hmm. and their electricity mm-hmm. prices were gonna like cause homelessness and like um, cold. Listen, I thought that was gonna happen. I can't sit here and I didn't. I thought it was gonna get high. I, I, I think when I, if I remember correctly, um. What I thought was is that this winter is when it's going to get out of hand. Yeah. Um, but it was possible last winter too, so I'm not gonna not gonna take it. But Goldman could be wrong. Well, they've never. Here's a good here. Yeah, I mean, here's a good one. I love how they're like blaming it on. Um, they're like Goldman says this could happen, and then futures declined. Um, so then the 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 next one is weather wild card. Because um, solar output in Germany is set to approach the record set last July. That could further reduce demand for gas power generation. Oh, wait, according to Bloomberg models. So Bloomberg models that that Germany is going to approach its record for solar generation. And that is going to reduce the demand for gas. How? Mm-hmm. I mean, how much? how much solar energy does Germany actually generate? I don't know, but I'm sure it's less than it uses for for natural gas power generation. Are you going to make, um, are they making BMWs off of solar power? Like I, I, they say that and it's like, you, you say that and you're like, are you insane? Right. Like a solar panel versus a hydrocarbon. You do not get the same amount of energy from those. You do not have nearly as many solar. Like that's it, crazy. That doesn't make any sense. I would not um, guess that 
demand for natural gas is going to be reduced in Germany because they might get more solar power, because the sun might be shining. Now, this is a good one. Last year's drought apparently dried up rivers across the continent, and hydro reserves in Italy, Italy, Switzerland, Austria, and France are filling up at the second lowest rate since 2017. That could lead to more gas being burned for power generation. Okay, so they had a really bad drought, and they're still trying to get back to where they were. It's taking a really long time, so they're not getting nearly as much in hydropower as they used to. That could definitely, but wouldn't you say, oh, wait, but where's, can't the solar power fill in? Like, no, they're going to use gas. So yeah, so don't, you know. It's just so funny. Of course, now that everyone's rushing to, and why are gas prices, natural gas prices down, by the way? Part of it is because they're importing a lot of liquefied natural gas. Remember remember when Rick Perry went to Europe and was like, Free. buy our LNG. And they're like, <laughs> why? We have Russian LNG. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, yeah, it's, it's weird because you would think with the turning from Russia that the prices would have hurt them but it's, it has been the opposite so i don't know yeah i mean like i think that the big i think honestly the big takeaway here is that natural gas prices are not like oil prices they're still highly variable based on the location you know and based on the weather that right. it still plays a lot and so and there's a lot of variation and that can cause and there's a lot of volatility and so you know just as likely as you could see really high natural gas prices they can also plunge really low and it's a very volatile energy source it's not really globalized i mean yes it's becoming more globalized but still it's it's not the pricing isn't it's a very different different thing and so you know you have to just take that into account that like certain things can really have an impact. Um, but I really don't think that you should make like bets on the natural gas prices based on the fact that like it's really sunny in Germany. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I uh, suspect that the other thing is the more at least, okay, I'm not sure everywhere, but the more we drill in the Permian, you know, the Permian's what the, second largest producer of natural gas in the U.S. And so as long as you can keep oil prices relatively high, you can keep downward pressure on natural gas because you're going to produce 30, 20 to 35% of the production of the Permian is going to be natural gas. And so you can get the benefit of just keeping natural gas low if as long as there's it's viable to drill oil in, in, in West Texas. And so um, whereas some of those dry plays might not be viable, you can at least offset that. So yeah. um, That's a good point. Yep. Okay. Speaking of speaking drilling in the Permian. Speaking of, there we go. Yeah. What a lead in. Yeah. Chevron to boost its U.S. presence with a 7.6 billion PDC energy buy. Okay. Now, what caught my attention here was PDC has assets in Texas and Colorado. Are they getting those Colorado assets too? Yeah, apparently, wow. which is so interesting because I thought that they were all like, Colorado, you can't drill there. Yeah. There's way too much regulation. But apparently it's both Colorado and Wyoming. Okay. So it's 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 talking about the Denver Julesburg Basin straddles Colorado and Wyoming. And apparently Chevron already has a big stake there. So yeah, I think that's that's interesting. Well, and also Chevron can navigate those regulations, whereas a smaller producer might not be able to. So it might be one of those things. Yeah. Um huh. mm, that's a big one right there. Oh yeah! Remember we were talking about what will um, Exxon buy? Turned yeah. out it was Chevron. 
Yeah, no doubt. I'm trying to look here. Uh, let's see here. I wrote a piece earlier this year on M&A activity. I'm trying to see what the person I quoted said was on the deal size, um, but I don't, I don't, I don't see it. I can't find it. So, anyways, um, okay. So, does this mean? Do you think this means that Exxon will have to? I said have to, but are they going <laughs> to respond as well? You know, I think Exxon's going to take its its time, and they may wait to see if they can get a better deal because I think they have already they already have a lot right in the Permian. I think that Chevron. I also think Chevron was under some pressure because its uh, quarterly results were not quite as good. I think. Mm. Um, oh wait, no. Here it says Exxon Mobil also struck a far smaller deal Monday, agreeing to a three hundred and seventy five million dollars sale of assets in the Bakken to Cord Energy. Mm, a shell company yeah. that emerged from the tie-up of Whiting Petroleum and Oasis Petroleum. Mm, huh, yeah. So Exxon sold Bakken. But that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so they mm. go back to uh, sell that to go back to the Permian, I guess. Yeah, I think so. It's it's interesting. Um, speaking of Exxon, I read this really interesting um thing from that Exxon filed with the Securities and Exchange Commission in response to um like a um something called the the glass this Glass Lewis proxy report feedback statement. Some people from Glass Lewis, I don't know what it is, but they they got very upset at Exxon because they were like Exxon doesn't do enough methane measurement and they don't have good spill response plans. And we want them to um divest from things for greenhouse gas reporting and then my my, uh, my favorite was their report on asset retirement ob obligations under IEA net zero scenario and they were basically saying that these people were saying that um Exxon needs to make additional reporting because it's not disclosing enough um uh, in how it's it's doing its asset retirement obligations to fulfill the IEA's net zero emissions by 2050 scenario. And this is the best response of, of it. Exxon had the best response of this. Okay. So um, it says further consistent. Oh, no, wait, hold on. Wait, wait where is this here? I just, um, ah, it is clear that the IEA and ZE does not, by the scenario author's own assessment, meet the level of likelihood required to be considered in our financial statements. So first of all, they're like, even the IA doesn't think that you should consider this when you do financial statements. Likewise, uh, it is highly unlikely that society would accept the degradation in global standard of living required to permanently achieve a scenario like the IA zero mm -hmm. emissions. We ask shareholders, therefore, to reject the proponent's conclusion, which was not based on a sound underlying analysis. Basically saying this scenario would require us to give up modern life. And we don't think that, you know, people are going to accept that. So why would we bother? you know, responding to it in our financial assessments. <laughs> that, that, that's the greatest response to anything. I wish they hadn't buried it. <laughs> okay. I think that is it for this week. Yeah. Where will you be this week, Dr. Mary? I will be on investing.com with a look at uh, how we're doing on the whole Russia sanctions price cap policy now that we're like six months in. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. 
I will be, of course, on Inside the War Room. And trying to see here, we've got someone arguing against the validity of the Bible. We've got someone arguing, talking about the age of scientific wellness, the Salem witch trials. Um, we talk about um, Marcus Aurelius, and then I'm trying, I can't remember the last one. Um, Maybe the CIA and Kennedy. I don't know. Anyways, all kinds of interesting stuff. Do you know, Dr. Walt, how many witches were burned at the Salem Witch Trials? Is that a trick question? It actually is a trick question. The answer is none. None, because they were all thrown in the river. <laughs> hanged or whatever they did they've sorry never- I, I you you asked the wrong person so when i was um doing my phd in american history i read like at least two or three books about the witch trials yeah what's funny is a lot of people say well we used to burn witches in this country it's no like, no, no we, we, we never did we drowned them <laughs> He threw them in a river with a bunch of like rocks tied to them. And if they survived, then we knew they were a witch. If they drowned, then they weren't a witch. So, yeah. We did a lot of things to them. We never burned them. We never burned them. So, uh, anyways, you can listen to that. Sounds good. And with that, we'll be back. Oh, is uh, next week Memorial Week? So I guess we won't be back next week. Oh, yeah. Next week's Memorial Day. All right. Well, hopefully I will be running a Memorial Day race. Oh, okay. Yeah. 5K. Nice, nice, nice. All right. Happy Memorial Day, everyone. All right. Bye.